couple of weeks ago, we started a new series which is on the covenants. And we have looked at the covenant with Adam, which was the covenant of life. And then last week we looked at the covenant with Noah, which is a covenant of salvation and preservation. And now we're going to be looking at the covenant that God established with Abraham. And we are on page 12, and you will be helped if you have a Bible, because we'll be looking at the text, as we always do. And it will be helpful if you have a Bible before you. We have some in the back. Anybody need one? Gus, you can get one for us. Uh, Anybody need a Bible to follow along? We'll be reading the entirety of chapter 15, but we'll we'll be referring to some events that happened before and then after that. So, Genesis chapter 15, the entire chapter. Hear the word of the Lord. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down, and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Let's pray. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Have you ever felt like one big piece of your life was missing? That if you could just have this one thing, that your life would be what you want it to be. The one thing that you long for, perhaps secretly, perhaps openly. Maybe it's a relationship that you don't have and would like to have. Maybe it's a relationship that you used to have and was broken and you no longer have it. 
Uh, maybe it's something you would like to see in the life of your children, or your grandchildren, your husband, your wife, your parents. Maybe it's financial security. Maybe it's health. Uh, maybe it's freedom from something that has bothered you and afflicted you all of your life. And you think, if I could just have that one thing, life would be good. You carry an ache, a desire, a longing, and you want this to be met. Well, if you sometimes feel like you can't square this longing, this lack, this ache in your life with all of God's wonderful promises to you, then welcome to Abram's world. Because that's what Abram felt as well. Now, I will probably slip into calling him Abraham, but at this point he's still called Abram. Later, God will change his name to Abraham. And from he changed it from exalted father to father of a multitude, which almost seemed like a mocking of that one thing that he most wanted, that one thing for which he longed, that one thing that he didn't have. But he had received many promises from God. His life was not bad. He had received promises back in chapter 12. And back in chapter 12, we find the calling of Abram. And we find perhaps at that point is when God established his covenant with Abram. We find that in chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, actually we read some of this in Hebrews, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will make, I will bless you and make your name great that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So he's promised a great name. He's promised to become a great nation. He's promised blessing and he's promised that in him all the nations on the earth would be blessed. Pretty amazing blessings, aren't they? For one man whom he plucked out of anonymity and obscurity in Mesopotamia and called him to go uh, to where he wasn't telling him yet. But he eventually got to that land and he didn't own any of it. But God later said in chapter 13, He said in chapter 13, verses 14 and following, He said, I will give you this land and I will give this land to your, your descendants. Uh, it says, The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward. For all the land that you see I will give you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Walk the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So great name, great nation, blessing, blessing to all the nations, and a land a land that He would give to him. Now, when we get to our text for today, chapter 15, we're 25 years later. 25 years after these original promises to God. And God had made Abram rich, and He had made him powerful. He was a force, and even a military force, to be reckoned with. And He was quite, quite wealthy. But at the same time, He was still a nomad. He was living in tents. He was... Homeless, you could say. He didn't have his own home. He didn't own any land in this territory that God had promised him. 
And it was always a threatening land. It was always a, uh, an unstable, a dangerous land. And perhaps for that reason, God comes to him in verse 1 of chapter 15 and says, Fear not, fear not, Abram. I am your shield. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So first he points him to himself and says, I am what you need here. You're, you're fearful in this land, uh, uh, surrounded by enemies, but I am your shield. I am what you need. I am your protector. And he reminds him that his reward would be very great. However, Abram brings up with God that there's still, still something missing. There is a piece that is missing. And he says that in verse 2. And Abram says, Oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue child, childless. And actually what it says is, I walk, I go childless. And he may be saying, I still am going childless. Or he may be saying, I'm going childless. I'm leaving childless. I don't have any children. And he was going to use one of the customs of the day. If you don't have any children, you could adopt one of your servants and pass on your inheritance to him. He says, the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. He's a member of my household. He's going to be my heir. So this was the one thing. And, and, and it wasn't just the, the pain of childlessness. Uh, some of you know that pain of not being able to have children, and that's a, a deep and, 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 and terrible pain for, for, par- or, or for, for adults that, that want to have children and they're not able to have children. Uh, but it's more than that in Abram's case. Because the promises that God had given him depended on what? Depended on him having a child. So there was a real theological problem here. There was a problem about God's promise, about God's faithfulness, about God's blessing, because God had promised him all these things, and they depended on him having a child, and he walked, he went childless, and it looked like that's how he was going to leave this planet. And so it was this this struggle of, God, you said this, but this is not squaring with how my life is at this point. Have you ever felt that way? God, you promised this, you said this, you, you declared this, but... But that's not what I'm experiencing right now, and so I'm not seeing how your promise and my life fit together. That was what Abraham was struggling with. And so what God did is He used an object lesson to reinforce that He would fulfill His promise. That He would have not just this foreigner as His offspring or his, His heir, but He would have His biological children. And he said, you won't just have one, you will have as many descendants as the stars in the sky. Now, if we go out and look at the night sky, we can probably count the stars, can't we? With the urban sprawl and all of the light pollution, we can probably count the stars. But in Abram's day, without the light pollution, he could see the stars. And we have a a rendering of what the sky might look like without the light pollution. Should we count them? Should we give it a shot? Even if we spent the rest of our lives, we could never count the billions and billions, and they didn't even know that were, there were that many in those days, but even what they could see, they were innumerable, they were countless. And he adds this illustration to one he has already used. He adds stars to dust. He's already said, your descendants will be like the dust on, on the earth, 
and like the stars in the heavens. Now, Abram had an appropriate response to what God had said. And the appropriate response is when somebody gives you a promise, there's nothing to obey or disobey. That's what you do with the law. That's what you do with a commandment. But with a promise, the only thing you can do with a promise is to believe it or disbelieve it. Let's see what Abram did. Look at verse 6. It says, And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. What did he do to the promise? He believed it. That's all you can do with a promise, to believe it. Now, this verse is a verse that Paul picks up, and actually we saw this fairly recently in our series on Galatians, because he picks it up in Romans, and he picks it up also in Galatians. And in Romans chapter 4, verse 3, it says, What does the Scripture say? Abram believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So what's he saying here? This is the great doctrine of justification, or rightification. It is the putting of someone who is not right with God, putting that person in the right with God. And look at how this works. It says that Abram believed God, and it was given to him. It was credited to him. It was counted to him. It was put down in his register that he was right with God. And so that rightness did not come from Abram. That rightness came from God. And Paul says, that's how it is now. If we want to be right with God, we cannot doing do it by working our way into rightness with God. The only way we can do it is by believing His promise in Jesus Christ. That all who believe in Him will be put right with God. Will be rightified, justified, put in the right. He, he brings that up again in Galatians chapter 3. Uh, verse 6 it says, once again he quotes, Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So this, this righteousness, this right standing comes from God as a gift to us if we believe in Christ. And then he says in Galatians 3.7, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. How could it be that Abraham's descendants would be innumerable. Well, he did become a great nation. And if we keep reading in the Old Testament, we will find that they became a mighty nation. They went down into Egypt. That's the story for next week. Went down into Egypt, and then God brought them out of Egypt. And what did God do for them while they were in Egypt? They multiplied. And they became a vast nation of millions of people. But millions are still countable. In fact, they were counted. We have books where they were counted. One book is called Numbers. And so they were still countable. But Paul explains to us how they could become uncountable. And he said, not only are the biological children counted as sons and daughters of Abraham, but those who believe in Christ enter into that number as well. So those of us who are believers... Jewish or non-Jewish, are counted in that innumerable number known only to God. Now, that is what we're about, by the way, as a church. 
and particularly as a new church, I never cease to emphasize, why are we starting a new church? And the answer is, to reach more people. It's very simple. That is the mission of the Christian church. To go out and to gather in those whom God is calling to be His own. Those sons and daughters of Abraham through faith in Jesus Christ. But that's particularly felt by new churches. Because that's all we have. We, we don't have tradition. We don't have infrastructure. We don't have anything to, to rest on and rely upon. And so we're always pushed, and this is a good thing, that we're always pushed forward to remember why we're here. We're here to go out that there might be more added to that great, great number. Now let's go back to our text uh, in uh, chapter 15. Because the conversation goes on. Abram believes God. It's credit to him as righteousness. And then Abram has a question. The Lord says, verse 7, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And then Abram raises a question. But he said, O Lord God, how, verse 8, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Now this is interesting because we will find sometimes in Scripture that people will have conversations with God and they will, as it were, challenge Him. They will ask for some sort of a sign or a confirmation. And sometimes they are rebuked for it. Sometimes they are shut down for it. Uh, We can think of the the father of uh, John the Baptist. When the angel appeared to him and told him in this appearance in the temple and said, you have a son and so on, he told all about it. and, And then his father said, well, how will I know? And he was made mute until that son was born. So there was a rebuke there. Or you could think of Jesus' response when the the religious leaders came up and said, show us a sign. Show us a sign so that we can believe. And He rebuked them and He said, a wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign. And He said, no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah who went into the place of death and then rose three days later. He was pointing to His own resurrection. But... But they were rebuked for asking. But here we see that that God didn't rebuke Abraham. Rather, He answered him. What's the difference? Well, the difference is, He asked the question not in order that He might believe, but He asked the question after He believed. It says that He believed God and it was credited to Him as righteousness. And then He said, Lord... I believe, and as that father we find in the New Testament with his, his six sons said to Jesus, I believe, but help. I need some help because I'm struggling here. I'm still seeing my life is not fitting together with your promise. I believe, but help me in my unbelief. Give me some sort of a, a confirmation that what you're saying will come to pass. So he says, how am I to know? He says, I know, but how am I to know that, that I shall possess it? And then God instructed him to set up this odd ceremony. And he told him to go get various kinds of animals, a heifer, a female goat, a ram, turtle dove, young pigeon. By the way, these were all animals that were later used in the the Jewish ceremonies surrounding the temple. And he said uh, to take these to cut them in half and then to lay the halves out against over against each other so there was a path between these halves. 
And he did that, and then the birds of prey obviously saw a meal and came down, and, and Abram was, was driving them away. Now, we don't have many details about this from the ancient Near East, this ceremony. But we do have one interesting passage from Scripture that occurred many centuries later, and that comes from Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 34, verse 18. And it says, And the men who transgressed My covenant, so God is speaking here, and the men who transgressed My covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before Me, I will make them like the calf that they cut in two and passed between its parts. Interesting. So, it it seems to be referring, well, it is referring to a ceremony, and it seems to be referring to the same sort of ceremony that looks like that it endured for generations and centuries in the ancient Near East. And if we can try to put this together, it looks like what happens is when a covenant was made between humans, what would happen is they would cut the animal, they would separate it, and both the parties would walk through it. And what were they saying? If I don't keep my part of this covenant, may this happen to me. And in Jeremiah's day, the leaders had walked through these animal parts in a ceremony that God had called upon them to do, and they had not kept their part. And so God says, okay, they asked for it. They, they're they the ones who walked through those animals, and they didn't keep the terms of the covenant, and so may they become like those animal parts because they didn't keep the terms. Now, let's go back to chapter 15 and and see what happened there. Because in verse 12 we find that the sun was going down and a deep sleep fell on Abram. And then this dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And then there was some speaking. God spoke to him in this dream and he said what would happen to Abram's offspring. He said, your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs, uh, and they will be servants there. They will be afflicted for 400 years. And this is the, they're going down to Egypt where they were enslaved in Egypt. But I will bring judgment on the nation, that is Egypt, that they serve, and after the, afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. That happens in the book of Exodus. And as for you, he says to Abram, that he would would go to his fathers in peace, be buried in a good old age. That happened. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, which happened in the book of Joshua. They were brought back into the land. They conquered the land. And then there's this interesting explanation here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Now this gets us a little far afield here, but we should just note something here, because this is a very fascinating verse. Because we look at the conquest of the land, and it's troubling to us because they go in and they they conquer the land, and they're told to do that by God. But they were not allowed to do that. They were not told to do that. They were not enabled to do that until it was right for them to do that. As a an execution of God's justice against these Amorites whose sin, whose iniquity had gotten so great and so vile that it was finally time for God to do something about it. But then, after He explains all this future to them, in verse 17, we find that there is a walking through the pieces. In verse 17, when the sun had gone down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these 
pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. So, it's interesting. God's making the the covenant with Abram, but He did not say to Abram, Okay, Abram, the pieces are there. Do your part. Promise to keep the terms. You pass through these pieces, and you keep your obligations. On the contrary, there's this smoking furnace fire pot that goes through the pieces. And if we look throughout Scripture, we find that fire and smoke are very often a symbol of God's presence. So what's going on here? What he's saying is, he himself, God himself, was passing through the pieces. And what that means is that what he's saying is, if I, God is saying, if I don't keep the terms of this covenant that I'm making with you, may this happen to me. He is putting himself under the death penalty if he doesn't keep the terms of the covenant. This is shocking. And as we saw in the covenant with Noah, if you look at the covenant with Noah and the covenant with Abram, it's all on God to fulfill it. Now we will see next week the covenant was with Moses. There's more reciprocity and there's more obligation put on the people. But in the covenant with Noah, in the covenant with Abraham, there is no commandment. It is promise on God's part. He is the one who promises to do it. And we saw that this is called the covenant of grace. It's the covenant of His free favor. It's the covenant under which He obligates Himself to fulfill all the terms. And so if we think about that, if, if He takes upon Himself to do everything, who is the only one who is, if we could say it this way, at risk of failing? At risk of breaking the terms of the covenant? God's the only one. So who is the one on whom the covenant curse could fall if He doesn't fulfill the terms of the covenant? The only possible one on whom it could fall is God Himself. Now, This is puzzling. And one very good scholar, one very good scholar in looking at this was puzzling over this idea. And he said this, he wrote this, when read in the light of Jeremiah 34's uh, curse nature, it may be implied that God submits to His own self-cursing by passing through the parts. It is difficult, however, to reconcile this idea of God theologically and impossible to explain how the curse could be carried out. And it is difficult, isn't it, to imagine God being struck, to to imagine God being parted, to imagine God being cut, to imagine God being pierced. But that's exactly what happened. And we find that Paul says it just that way, without varnishing it. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. The common expression for making a covenant, and it's the expression we find here in, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 18. It says, On that day the Lord made a covenant. The common Hebrew expression is, On that day the Lord cut a covenant with Abram. 
And then we find in chapter 17 that Abram was given the sign of a covenant. Do you remember last week we had a sign associated with a covenant with Noah? That sign was God's bow in the heavens. And here we have another sign, and that sign is the sign of circumcision. How do you do circumcision? You cut. And, and that's how God made this covenant with Abram. And He said, there will be a cutting. There will be a cutting if the terms of this covenant aren't fulfilled. Now the irony and the surprise and the wonder and the marvel of the fulfillment of this is if we read the rest of the Old Testament, God fulfilled the terms of the covenant. He didn't fail in the least. He fulfilled every single aspect of His covenant. But even so, He took the curse of the covenant upon Himself as he, if He had been a transgressor, as if He had been a violator, as if He had been a lawbreaker. And now we can put this together with what we already saw. Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's half of the equation. We believe in Christ and His righteousness is given to us. But the other half of this equation is He takes our sin upon Himself and receives the curse thereof. Peter says it this way, He bore our sins in His body on the tree. Now it is certain that we will never have all we want in this life. That is guaranteed. And it is also certain that no matter how much we have, we will have to leave it behind when we depart. Those things are certain. But it is equally certain for those who believe in Jesus Christ that we have a God who walked between the pieces for us. We have a God who fulfilled all the terms of all of His promises and yet took upon Himself the curse of the transgressor. Now, this doesn't mean that we will have all that we want, but it does mean that we will have all that we need. And it doesn't mean that that ache of longing that all of us carry around in our hearts will go away immediately. In fact, it would be tragic if it did go away immediately. I remember people when I was in university telling me, oh, enjoy these university years because they're the best years of your life. And I thought, how depressing is that? Now, I enjoyed them. But I thought, if I live a number of decades longer, it's going to be downhill from there? I thought, how depressing is that? And you will find preachers who basically say that to you. You can have it all now. God wants you to have it all now. How depressing is that? We get it all now? Then what's forever for, as the country song says? You see, C.S. Lewis put it like this. He said, if, if we find within ourselves a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation for that is that we were made for another world. 
And what does this longing do? What does this aching do? It, it pushes us forward. And it pushes us to live like Abram lived. It pushes us to live like all of the, the believers that are listed in Hebrews chapter 11 lived. Because you know what it says about them? He doesn't varnish it. He says, all of these died without receiving what was promised. And it explains why. He says, because they were looking for something better. They were looking for something real. They were looking for a city that can't crumble. They were looking for a city with foundations. They were looking for a homeland. They weren't just looking for the land from which they went out. He said, they could have gone back to that if that's all they were looking for. He says, they were looking for the real. They were looking for the permanent. They were looking for the eternal. And that affected the way they lived their lives. What did they do? They channeled that ache. They channeled that longing. They channeled that lack into the promises of God. And they channeled it in to believing the promises that they will be fulfilled. Let's pray. Our God, we thank You for the abundant promises in Your Word. And we know that they're so grandiose that they can't possibly be fulfilled in these brief lifespans that we live on this earth. And we know that they push us forward to a homeland, to a city, to a, a country that cannot be taken away, that cannot be invaded, that cannot crumble. And Lord, we thank You for the many emblems of, of that that we experience in this life. Our lives are amazing. The blessings are so overwhelmingly abundant. And yet, we still feel that lack, that desire. And we pray, O oh God, that You would enable us to walk by faith and not by sight. That we would continue to believe Your promises and trust You for this life and the life to come. And that the life to come that that eternity for which we are heading and into which we are hurtling soon, that that eternity would inform the way we live our lives each day here. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.